I can think of only one thing that could lift my spirits right now. Beer. 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 This is Drink of Ages on ESPN 97.5. The only show dedicated to craft beer, spirits, and music. Here's your host and luminary, luminary. John Denman. John Denman. All right, welcome to this week's Drink of Ages radio show on ESPN 97.5. I am John Denman, your, your only host this week. Uh, kind of a strange show we have going on. It seems COVID has kind of interfered a little bit. DJ Muskratch, normally up here, crap beer seller, spinning some badass music. He, uh, unfortunately, got the COVID with the family, so hope oh, everything no. works out for those guys. Uh, send all the kids back to school, and then weird things happen. <laughs> weird things. Weird things happen. So he's out. Uh, Tom, co-host Tom Painter, he's out as well. But uh, he's out because he went to Vegas and probably ended up with something worse than COVID. Oh, those don't go away. Those, those, those. It's not a vaccine for some of those that <laughs> yeah, you get from Vegas. Very possible. So, but we are hanging out here at Craft Beer Cellar downtown Houston. Uh, like I said, this is Drink of Ages Radio, and our guest this week from New Braunfels Brewing Company, Kelly Meyer, co-owner. Thank you, thank you. Author. Uh, I don't know, man. You do all kind of stuff. Podcaster now, I guess. Podcaster. Yeah, we got the podcast going. Yeah, I uh, I put consultant on my business card, but I don't want to do that. I just want a podcast. <laughs> That, I mean, that is kind of consulting. Yeah, right. In weird ways. Free consulting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, consulting uh, is I've, – I've consulted with uh, several breweries, you know, and, and helped them get some stuff going. And, and Has it worked? Uh, it didn't not work, <laughs> you know. It, it's, you, you know how it goes uh, once – you you have a really good game plan, and you you try to identify like the areas. Like we helped a brewery open up in Cleveland, Ohio, called Popo Beer Company. Cleveland, Ohio. Yes. You get around, bro. Get around. Uh, I, first time I went to Cleveland was to go up there and hang out, and I liked the place, man. It was it was a whole lot of fun. Wait, good little... you just decided one day sitting in Houston in the sunshine in the. Uh, a few miles off the coast that you were just going to up and go to Cleveland to quote-unquote hang out? Not not exactly. Right. Was, I'm hoping uh, it wasn't exactly that. So uh, a mutual friend, a friend of mine, some of his friends, they have a couple of restaurants and stuff in, in the Cleveland area, mm. and they ended up getting this property, badass two-story property, full kitchen underneath, uh, a whole brew house, seven-barrel brew house system, everything, nice and shiny, Big parking lot, I mean, just like almost like a just like turnkey situation, and but they don't know how to make beer, so ah. got back to us and we went up there and consulted, helped them out, and then ate at their restaurants and man, just amazing food, some really badass, crazy people, and now they own a brewery. For better or for worse, they probably should have read your book. They wouldn't have probably bought it had they read the book. <laughs> Uh, that wouldn't be the first person that reached out to me after having read it and said, thank you, thank you, thank you for not let, making me own a brewery. Well, that's funny enough. Uh, the whole, like, my whole beer career started with me making making beer, like homebrew. And then we opened up the homebrew shop in Humble thinking that, man, that's going to give us an opportunity to refine our recipes <laughs> meet people, you know, build relationships, do all these things, and then we're going to open up a brewery. Well, in the meantime, started doing this radio show and actually talking to brewery owners 
and that's when I decided that I did not want to own a brewery and have to go through all the stuff that they went through. No, and it's it's hard because obviously in the three tier system, I've now interviewed someone from each tier, and I'm looking forward to going deeper and deeper in there. But it doesn't appear that there's profit flowing to any distinct segment of that, except maybe if you're an, an indigenous almost been around forever distributor to the point that you've been able to stack and plan and, you know, go deep on your real estate. But I don't know, man. I don't know where all – when you buy a $10 six-pack, I don't know who's getting any profit that's a, that's that. a, that's Honestly, a great question because, you know, beer prices, they definitely increase, but you start looking at profit margins, and they're like, like okay, what brewery is really killing it? No, and some of the bigger breweries that you talk to are just adamant about the fact that our packaging is intended as marketing, and we essentially lose money on packaging. Yeah. Uh, and then there are guys that don't, but even still, if if you think that you're making a 10 or 15% margin when you go back and run the spreadsheet and add in the things you forgot to add in and or the, the recall for some out-of-date product, it eats that margin up pretty gosh darn quick. So, um, Yeah, it's, it's a crazy thing. I mean, it takes a special person I've, I've said this all along like most of the people that i've talked to that own breweries they all have that uh, something about their personality that that is very similar from each of them that is different <laughs> from other industries you know and they're insane is yeah a little bit right <laughs> so i think it takes a little bit of craziness to 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 leave like a job that you're doing well at and go you know what i'm going to start a brewery and so many people have done that and I mean, luckily, there's still so many breweries around, but, man, it's just a tough living. It is, and it's not getting any easier. Uh, you know, I use the example all the time when I first started. When my wife and I decided, hey, brewery would be a good idea, there were less than 50 in Texas. We're skirting the, the edges of 400 now. That is a very different conversation. Should we open a brewery when there's 400 should, versus should we open a brewery when there's 50? And, you know, how at, at some point, they can't all sustain themselves. Maybe that was 300, maybe it's 900. I'm not the expert, but I do know that it's a really, really challenging game. It is, but at the same time, yeah, like I feel like the, we're still at like a good growth. So the more the merrier, the more it exposes you know, brewery. Because a lot of them now are open up in neighborhoods. You know, they're not looking for these big downtown locations or these big high traffic locations. They're finding little spots in their neighborhood, and they're, they're opening up breweries there. So... It introduces a lot of people to beer in that area, but their model, you know, it's a small model. It's not like a model for growth and and continue just like, okay, we're, we're starting off with a five-barrel system, and in 10 years we're going to have a 30-barrel system here because it's just, it just won't fit. Yeah, and, and you used to be on the retail side, so if you look at the growth of breweries versus the growth of tap handles and shelf placements at retail – uh, they have not grown in lockstep. And so you've got from 50 to 400 breweries and probably a net zero on the amount of new tap handles during that same period of time, uh, possibly less based on what happened with COVID. So if you're trying to distribute outside your brewery, uh, you're in trouble. I mean, it's it, it's it ends up being cutthroat. You're going to discount kegs. You're going to go do pint nights. You're going to give back the profit that you would have made to the point that I think the guys that are going to be successful going forward are the ones that have that solid neighborhood model, which is not easy to cultivate, but it can be done for sure. Yeah, there's definitely the most profits coming out of their tap. Yeah, most profits and most consistency. 
you can kind of control it, you can run specials, you can release something new. You've got a little more authority versus if, if uh, the guy who loves your beer over at Craft Beer Cellar leaves tomorrow, then the new guy that comes in might hate you. You, you have no way to know. And he might say, well, I, I don't like your beer because when I had it over at XYZ eight years ago, it wasn't very good. And he doesn't want to put it on. And so that never happens in your own tap, tap room. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Um, right now, I mean, it, well, at the same time, uh, you're seeing bars that had 40 taps. Now they're like, oh, no, we're going to go down to 20. Yeah. Well, and you used to see 40 taps of a fairly diverse selection. And now you've got... Uh, 40 taps were 27 of them that are either a Pilsner or a Hazy IPA. And then the balance is made up by a couple of other things. So there's, you know, less diversity and the more interesting beers are having a hard time finding a spot somewhere to sell. So. Yeah, it's just nutty. Uh, it's a weird time. It's a weird time in Houston, you know, with, with everything going on. And with uh, we had, well, like four breweries opened up during the pandemic and like, I don't know, four or five more that's opening up here soon. And really, none close. You had maybe one or two, but yeah. So as far as the growth goes, again, I, I'm a big proponent of the fact that there is a, is a limit to how much growth you can absorb as a market. I don't know where that is for Houston, but um, I know that there are people who are definitely struggling in the industry for profitability anyways. So. It's not like Houston isn't a beer-drinking town, though, right? I mean, it's... it's there's a lot of beer gets drink. When in you got Houston. close to what, 10 million people or something like that? It, so. It's ridiculous, whatever we are now. And I mean, as a third largest city, or sometimes fourth, it depends on who does the math. Uh, a lot of beer gets drink in Houston. You go to a bunch of, you go to bars and they're, they're packed, but they're not, 90% of the people aren't drinking craft beer. So, right. So, how do you, how do you market towards all those people? To, to make them go, hey, put down that Bud Light and try this beer. That's going to cost more. That's going to be, you know, but it's made right here. Well, if you look at what the market did over the last 18 months, the answer to that question was make a seltzer. <laughs> <laughs> Whether that worked or not, it remains to be seen, but they definitely did that. Uh, that's, a, that's a crazy market in its own. That's something that, um, like just, just look at grocery stores. They're, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And... It was it was really funny because when hazy IPAs were really taking off, there was a lot of breweries that they're they're like, man, we're not making a hazy IPA. I was like, that's cool, you know, don't make one if you don't want to. Seltzer, we're making a seltzer. Right. <laughs> like, we're making nineteen different flavors. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, man, wait a second, man. I thought you were sticking to these guns of yours and you know, priorities or whatever else you want to do, and now you're going to throw out all these different flavored seltzers, but. I mean, you got you to gotta give the people what they want, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I, I get it. Like, at some point, as a business owner, you've got to pivot when the pivot's called for. So I wouldn't begrudge somebody for having done that. But as, a, as an artist myself, I'm willing to let myself, my brewery die, if that's what it takes to not make a seltzer. Um, and that's not the right answer, necessarily, but that's my answer. And it's what makes me feel good and sleep at night. So I know that uh, we, we talked about a Spindle Tap. Uh, over like two years ago about making a seltzer and garrison is just like nope nope don't want to absolutely not don't want to and then finally made one for the tap room and it sold way too greatly yeah and it's like man i mean i know it's 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 just having that option you know i, I like i wouldn't base any models off of it but just having that option in a tap room i think isn't a bad thing yeah and it's gluten-free so obviously it, you know 
we have to have cider and wine in our brewery for that reason. So having something that appeals to those people is beneficial. To be quite honest, I wrote a recipe for a pickle seltzer, um, and it's been sitting in my brewery uh, not being used because, again, I wrote it as a backup plan. It's irresponsible not to have one, and I decided that it wasn't a backup plan I was willing to use. So it's there it is. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't really fault breweries or anything for for making any beer. Honestly, it doesn't matter, right? Like, man, if you whatever beer you want to make, if you want to be the smoothie breweries, be a smoothie brewery, whatever, you know, if you want to make this beer, just play, have fun, yeah. And so, yeah. but it's just. Something about seltzers. I don't know what it is. Yeah, like, like why there's such a, like I have it too, right? Like if I had a brewery, I'd be like, man, I don't want to make a seltzer. You know, it's yeah. like just flavored well, it's water. Just, but it's not. Yeah, it's not artistic and creative. It's it's just money. Um, and a lot of people get in this industry for something different than just money. So that's part of the problem too. Like we talked about earlier, it's not the industry to get in if you want to make money. No, um, I got a whole book on why that's not the case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, how much did it cost us to open your brewery? $1.2 million. How much money have you made? Negative 700. Yeah. Thousand. It's, it's an old joke, um, and I hear it actually in wine and in spirits, but best way to make a million dollars in the beer industry is to start with three, and uh, you'll wind up with a million at the end. And you'll end up with a million. Yeah, but, and it, it sucks, but that's, I mean, that's the truth. Uh, I actually listed my brewery for sale for about 20% of what it cost me to overall to, to build it and the reality is at some point you're, you're not going to get your your coupon on your investment um, maybe you do when you hit scale and you sell to some international conglomerate but those deals are pretty scarce these days so. they don't well even when they seem like they were happening all the time in comparison to how many breweries were actually being bought it's, it's still such a small percentage i mean just a handful of them were yeah honestly maybe five bought. Yeah. yeah yeah it's like oh man they're buying up all the craft breweries no 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 they're not <laughs> Yeah, and, and most of them were buying the ones that weren't really craft to begin with. But, yeah, that's a different podcast for a different day, right? That is true. <laughs> that's true. So uh, you do a lot of different sours. That's you all do, we do. You do a lot of different, a lot of, like, from barrel age to uh, just straight uh, kettle sours and fruited sours and all kind of different stuff. And you've done that for a long time. Yep. We went, uh, so... If you look back on my webpage, there's a blog post about why I don't make sour beer, because I would argue that it's mixed culture, which is, uh, well, very pretentious, and I will agree with that. It, it is a, is a different goal set, and it's a different structure on the recipe. But um, so everything we make is going to be mixed culture, and we switched exclusively to that in 2017. And so everything that comes out of the brewery is bone dry, has a little bit of balanced acidity. Uh, one beer that we make is fermented warm for a couple of days to bring out that um, kind of lactic sourness, but everything else is just sort of allowed to evolve either in a tank or in a barrel for extended periods of time where acidity is a natural progression of that, but I don't set out to make something sour. And in fact, I do some things to make it less sour on the hot side. But I mean, when we really get into that style of beer, you have the, the ones that's kind of you know, like, like almost like a Gatorade, Nice, crisp, easy to drink, refreshing, and then you have the ones that you drink that make you pucker up and you feel in the back of your jaw. You know, the, the, yeah, the, intended to taste like eating a, le a lemon and just yes. like sucking on it. Yeah. Fortunately, I like all of them. Right. Like, like, yeah. I, I love a very super just, just even something that start getting those vinegar flavors. Yeah, you know, and then uh, I, I, I like. 
I, I did uh, Houston Funk Fest. Yeah, for a few years, didn't you? Yeah, 2015 is the first one, and I thought then the sours were about to take off. And I, I was like, in my mind, I was like, man, sour is going to be the next beer that everybody's drinking. Well, then hazy IPAs jumped in front. And like, nope, it's going to be yeah. us for a while. But I, I feel like haze or the the sours and that that style of beer is definitely definitely becoming prevalent once again. And I like, seeing a lot more of it out in the market. Um, and some people doing it really well. Some. Some. But and then there's also so. Obviously, as what you might consider to be a purist or uh, whatever term you want to use, there's a lot of what people are terming as sour is so back-sweetened or stuff with residual sweetness that the acidity is actually balanced out where it's no longer sour um, as, far, as far as the actual perception on the palate. So I would argue they're making a terrible sour. They're making a fine beer, but it isn't mm. sour at all. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I want a sour to be a sour. Right? Like, I, want it, I want that puckerness. It needs something that, like when you drink it, it's like, ooh. Yeah, kind of hits you a little kick? bit. Yeah, a little sucker punch. yeah, and like I said, with the back end sweeteners, they make them very easy to drink. You know, but yeah, I'm with you, man. It's, it's not. I would. Yes, you brew the sour uh, to make it that way, but then when you add the raspberry sweeteners and all this different stuff, yeah, I mean, it definitely changes it. Yeah, well, it's a big argument. If you look in Belgium, there are. Uh, lambic brewers that add saccharin and I don't think anyone uses aspartame but essentially fake sugar to their products to keep that uh, sweetness in there to balance the sourness and they're not allowed to join the organizations of the mixed culture brewers because they're not making mixed culture beer they're they're making back sweetened things that taste like uh, an actual strawberry as opposed to a barrel aged beer we fermented with a strawberry this is a different approach and it should be a different but in America, we're having a hard time making that distinction for whatever reason. So. Yeah, well, we also need our sugar. Right. <laughs> so desperately need more sugar. Desperately need a lot more sugar. All right, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll talk more with, with Kelly Meyer from New Bramble's Brewery Company, and let's crack open some of these bottles that you brought. Whichever brewery you want. This okay. is Drink of Ages. Be right back. are a great time to check out Megaton Brewing in Kingwood. Jared, Chris, and the gang have created a badass place to kick back and enjoy a few beers. Big stouts, approachable sours, and plenty of hoppy brews are on tap at Megaton. Lots of space to hold your birthday party, corporate outing, or any event in one of the most unique tap rooms in the Houston area. Check them out on social media for their concert and event schedule. Megaton Brewery. Hope to see everyone at the vault. You may have noticed there have been quite a few changes at No Label, and they are steadily pumping out tasty brews. With their new head brewer trailer bringing in his West Coast brewing skills, taps have been flowing with lots of hoppy deliciousness like Cali Boy West Coast IPA. I'm real excited about what they're doing on the West Side. Top Room is open seven days a week, very family and dog friendly. Make the short trip to Katie and see what is happening at No Label. Follow them on social media for events and beer releases. No Label Brewing Company. Have an event in mind and looking for a place that is fun and beer is involved? Host your next event at a brewery. 
At Spindletop, they have full venue rental and partial rental options that are perfect for company events, birthday parties, weddings, receptions, and more. Host a memorable event at a venue that offers a fun atmosphere and many amenities. Email info at spindletop.com or call 713-325-1477 to get more details. Key T Wellness, our friends down in Dickinson, is where you need to go if you're feeling sluggish, non-energetic, and non-motivated, not just when you're hungover. Get to know your numbers. As we get a little older, our hormone levels change, men and women. Key T Wellness can help. Weight loss, hormone optimization, low testosterone, B12, Botox, and more. Stop in and tell them that you heard it on Drink of Ages and get a free B12 shot. KeyTWellness.com. Why not feel your best again? KeyTWellness.com. The most fun and good times beer fest is back happening november 11th through the 13th at katie mills mall featuring multiple stages of live music food trucks multiple party zones and of course lots of beers to try over 600 if we are counting vip is where you want to be but general admission is still a great time get your tickets today for wild west Brewfest november 11th by going to wildwestbrewfest.com one of the premier brew fests in the country wildwestbrewfest.com Back, this is Drink of Ages Radio Show here on ESPN 97.5. We are here at Craft Beer Cellar hanging out, having some good pints, and drinking some New Granville's Brewing Company beers. Uh, I'm John Denman, guest Kelly Meyer. That's me. And man, you just, what did you just pour into our glass? Well, I want to apologize first of all that the first segment, I didn't drink any beer at all during it. So if I was a little off or, you know, my, my vocal range wasn't there i've got i have to say man i think that's a first like i don't think anyone has ever made in it the through, history a segment, of the show? through in the history of the show I mean, we're like nine years into this right well i had two right before but i didn't have any during wow you would think that uh that i would have noticed that and cracked it open but man, man. you know that that means it was good conversation that's you know, right it just went like flew by i still i still have like the beer that i started with yeah there you go and that normally doesn't happen all right, so this beer is, uh, normally when I would do an event like this, I would warm people up. So kind of like the idea of doing a wine tasting, start light, go to heavy or whatever. Um, but you're John Denman. So what, what are we going to do with John Denman? We are going to look at the moon and aim past it. And so this is revolver held, hands down, one of the best beers I've ever made. I'd put it in the top five. It's a collaboration between us and Infamous Brewing Company. It is 80% their cream ale. Uh, called Hijack, and then 20% are pitch black, uh, 9% alcohol uh, uh, farmhouse wheat beer, aged in a barrel a year and a half, blended together, aged in a barrel a year and a half, and re-fermented with two different kinds of cherry. It's uh, dark red, Hood River cherry, and then Rainier cherries, because Rainier is my favorite. And it just, it's got that complex cherry note, that kind of soft, almost like vanilla-ness to it. It's, uh, I love this beer. And it, it, the cherries hit you right in the nose. Mm. This is a, for, so this is the fourth one we've ever done with them. Uh, it's not annual because of how long it takes in the barrel, but we've done four versions of it, and this has the most cherries. It's always meant to be a subtle cherry, but I wanted it to be subtly important, 
and so I changed the uh, amount a little bit this year, and I personally am very happy with the results. I think Cherry's still subtle, but it's it's there and uh, it's dominant. So, no, this is this is really good, and we kind of touched on it a little bit in the first segment, but the um, I don't know. It, it's, it's, I'm trying to remember the first time that I had your beers. Uh, I know Houston Funk Fest, we had a bunch, and that was 2015, so. I think you, had, you came by the brewery to get some for that. I, yeah. So you must have had it before, I would think, unless you just, no, you may have just reached out to everybody. No, I feel like I feel like I had it before that, but it wouldn't have been in Houston, though, so it had to been in New Braunfels. It could have been. We were distributed with favorite brands, right, even, even either then? at that moment or soon after, but I think it was during. Yeah. Yeah, you've got a cool little spot right downtown New Braunfels, which is a pretty badass place in the world anyways. New Braunfels? Yeah. yeah. Plus, you can drink on the street, which is even better. Anywhere you, you can walk you, around with you, a beer and go shopping. You can drink on the cheats. street, float down rivers with a drink. I mean, you can just yeah, pretty much, I mean. Go to I, fall festivals and drink beer and so- eat sausage. Like I'm yeah. not saying that, uh, you know, roadies are a thing, but roadies are a thing. <laughs> they in fact are. I uh, so. my kids are now fifteen and seventeen, and it was it it may have only been four years ago that my daughter was like, "Wait, are you drinking and driving?" Damn it, that's it. And that was it. I couldn't do it anymore. She grew it, yeah. up. Yep. That's why you put everything into like a thermo flask these days. Yeah, um, they're smarter than that. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's a. No, New Braunfels is a fun place, man. We we stopped by a, I guess it was right before COVID is last time I went to the brewery though. We were up at Canyon Lake about three two months ago, and we have a mutual friend that lives up there, Jason Lovell. Oh, that's right. Uh, I yeah. forgot you guys went to school together. Yeah, we went to school together, and so he he came over and met us, and so the game plan was the next day we we're gonna head out and come. I was gonna surprise you and say, hey man, we're stopping by have some beers and then um you know when you have wife and kids they <laughs> usually have other plans and don't, they don't usually include beer i mean no, that it's, man, it's happened it's, before but man it's rare it's very rare you know that um yeah that beer is included i've got traveled you know to a lot of places and people are like man did you go any breweries I'm like no <laughs> yeah <laughs> i sure didn't i had a buddy that he, he loves wine i still have a buddy i shouldn't say that paul who's a huge wine fan, and um, he will do that on family trips. He'll, he'll throw a fit that his wife won't go let him go to wineries. And I'm like, dude, you're not – you've got three kids. You have to at some point buy into the fact that this is not part of a family trip anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I still get – we went to Maui and did a show for Maui Brewing Company. It was great. Oh, yeah. With Gary Moreno. I mean, the dude was cool as can be. We all hung out, drank a bunch of beer, and he's like, man, we're releasing whiskey, a bourbon, with you know, on Saturday, you guys need to come back by. Sweet. We'll come back by. And it was, you're going to another brewery? No, I'm going to the same brewery. Right. <laughs> Just, <laughs> same but one. But it's for a different drink. Different thing. I'm not going to have any yeah. beer. This that time it's a distillery. I feel like that would be a good argument, but it didn't work? No, it didn't work. Wow. Uh, so like, Maybe it was your delivery. Like, Did you... Well, it wasn't probably not the best because we we went and played around a round of golf before that, and then it's like, oh yeah, by the way, we're gonna go by the the, the brewery for some bourbon. It's like, so you're gonna be going all day? I'm like, you're in Maui, you can't have fun. <laughs> I mean, right. Go go find something fun to do. I wasn't aware we brought responsibility with us. Exactly. Like, ah, now this this here is really good. This is uh, and we're drinking it. 
I don't know. It's almost room temperature at this point. Yeah, yeah so but you're getting some really good flavors out of it. Honestly, most of my beers really present better at that 55 range, um, 60 if you have to. But I, I just a lot of the flavors come through, and, and I know you've had Sangre Shiva, which is our dark beer Asian red wine barrels. And the very first time I tried to get that to go to distribution, I remember bringing a bottle of it cold to the buyer that handled all of the total wine, or sorry, the twin liquors for the state. And we opened it and poured it in the glass, and I was distinctly disappointed because yeah. uh, I had never tasted it cold. Yeah. I had always tasted it out of the barrel, um, out of the bottle on bottling day, out of the tank on packaging. And what wound up happening is that when it got cold, all the edges came off. Everything interesting was gone. Which is also why you would drink Miller Lite at 30 degrees because you don't notice all the crap in it. But he goes, you know what? Grab the glass. Let's warm it up. You know, thankfully, the guy I was trying to sell to was smarter than me uh, back in 2013. And uh, we warmed it up, and then everything came out the way I remembered it, that oak and that presence and the wine and everything. And I was like, okay, that's what I meant for you to taste. And he loved it, and he bought it, and then it went into their stores. Everybody is freaking out right now because Yingling has finally made it to, to oh, Texas. thank God. Thank God. I mean, I know you've been waiting, right? Dude, Have you dude. ever had one of those warm up on you? <laughs> I could say no. <laughs> it is not good, man. It is not good. Well, Yingling isn't isn't fantastic beer empirically, but it's situationally cool beer. I've been to the brewery back in like 2010, and I I loved it. You know, stepping under the pipes and getting water dripping on your head, and it's the oldest brewery in the country, uh, and the experience was beautiful. And I enjoyed drinking the beer, but I never once thought it was one of the best beers in the world. Right. You know what I mean? It's not that. It's it, it's a brand, and, and it's it's cool. But yeah, yeah, it, well, that kind of goes along with the, the. I've been to a lot of breweries that are very situational. A lot of moments, you know, where that beer is like, man, this is a good beer, but it's like, ah, no, it's a situation. Yeah, it's, right. It's much better than the beer, and it makes the beer taste better. Yeah, and which is fine. It should be part of the experience, and that's why people spend so much money on the physical plant and the uh, the marketing plan, the labels and everything, because it does matter. But at the end of the day, if you're bragging to me that your beer is great and it's really just a marketing machine, like, get out of here. <laughs> it, the marketing, like, you know, kind of go back to your book, How Not to Start a Damn Brewery, uh, that you wrote. And this is the second edition that's out right now. Correct. Uh, basically so the rewrite of the first edition, yep. Rewrite. Added a lot more pages. Almost double. Wow. Yeah, the first book was 37,000 words. This one's just over 57,000. Uh, those comic strips that are in there were not in the original version. And a lot more graphics, too. Um, I even added the letter. When we, we originally started with a two-barrel system in the brewery back in 2012, and lasted about eight months before I realized that we couldn't make good beer on that little homebrew uh, piece of crap. So I sent a letter to all, all of our like mailing lists, letting them know that we had to tear the brewery down, but you know, trying to look strong, like we had big plans for the future. And when I went back and read it, it was super embarrassing. And I'm like, that, that's got to go in the book. So I put it in the second edition. Yeah. It, it's, it's, I don't know. It, start a brewery, you, know, you have your business plan. Nothing goes quite like this plan. I mean, is, is nothing, has anything remotely been what you expected? No, I would say not. But that's pretty standard. Like, even in every business, they pretty much tell you to write a business plan so you can know what, uh, what to do when it changes. Like, it's, it, they're never, because you, you have no idea. I mean, you're, 
at best. I feel like they're more just for like research, just to, you know, give you a better understanding of what you're about to get yourself into. Yeah, it proves really you thought it out, sure. Yeah. And it, it gives you some perspective, but you know, it, when I put in my business plan what I was going to sell a keg for, I had no idea if a bar was willing to pay it. Not really. You know, I'd asked one, but I could have said no when we changed it. Um, and obviously the market's changed dramatically. We've talked to, I think it was Noble Ray on the podcast, and he was telling me about how uh, when he, he was trying to get his distributor to pick up a $160 half barrel, and they were like, you're crazy, and now you can sell a $350 hazy IPA without breaking a sweat. So the market's changed dramatically, and if you had written that into your business plan in 2014, they'd have laughed you out of the room. As they should have. As they should have, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, the, the, the price of beer and how it's continually going up, in which, you know, we're in Texas, so a four-pack of something crazy, you know, anywhere between 14 to 20 bucks generally. Right. Something like that, 60-ounce cans. Well, apparently, like, California, those are, like, you know, 20 to $30 for four-packs. But, I mean, we're not trying to compare Texas and California and prices and all that stuff, but I, I just have a feeling, you know, just – when when bombers became popular, remember when you know, I don't know how many five six years ago or something like that, yeah. when bombers were really popular. Everything was in a bomber in sixteen seventeen. For yeah, sure. they went from like six seven dollars to like fourteen fifteen dollars like pretty quickly, and it's like oh, beer's about to get really expensive. Yeah, and sometimes you'd see that for a, a Kolsch or like a regular IPA. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Something. Yeah. That should, I remember I knew the world was coming to an end when I saw Shiner Bach in a bomber. Yeah, <laughs> and then I laughed, and the retailer goes, "Oh, we sell the crap out of it." I'm like, what? Who's buying Who? that? <laughs> uh, yeah, if they do. I mean, of course, like certain beers should be expensive. Like, they, they, yeah. the, 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 the money you, you should want to pay a decent amount of money for these beers because, for one, the time, the ingredients, uh, the quality, and everything else has been put in them. Yeah, and I think too, like, there's some things. Obviously, I've got many soapboxes, so feel free to kick it out from under me when I get up on it. But I, I truly believe that bombers were an easy play for a lot of breweries. You didn't need fancy equipment to be able to throw your beer in a bomber, uh, proven by how many of the things were in, including our beer back in the day, which is not made on fancy equipment. Um, and so what you wound up with is a guy putting a Kolsch, a Pilsner, whatever he had, he'd put it in a bomber and try to sell it for six to eight bucks because the margins were ridiculous. And, you know... Obviously, uh, you know, congrats to him if he was able to get that done or her. Uh, but the reality is I believe that that has ruined the market for bombers in a way in that the, it's not special. It's not exciting. And it was overpriced. And so re you saw retail over the last four years just s consistently rip it out. And I think it was on the last reset of our grocery store, big grocery store here in New Braunfels, they tore out the last of the bombers. And they, they no longer – there's one row on one side thing. But in, they tore out an entire door of them, and now they're basically gone. Wow. Yeah, that used to be used to be a thing, man. Walk in there and see what new bombers. Yeah, and you get good stuff, and, and you could lay them down, and maybe you didn't get to it for two years, and that made it better. But nah, not anymore. I still have a bunch. Uh, it's I've given away so much beer in the last probably four or five months, and I still have containers full of beer. Now one day, I just need to just invite people over and we'll all just sit around and start cracking bottles open. Yeah. But, uh, Don't let them drive home afterwards. <laughs> no. Everybody spend the night. Sleep over. Yeah. Sleep over at my house. So I'm actually interviewing uh, Dave over at Southern Star tomorrow. 
And that's one of the specific questions that I want to talk to him about that we're going to go through is, remember Black Crack used to be in a bomber and yeah. he switched to a can. And uh, from the outside looking in, I think that was an abysmal failure uh, just because I saw it on the shelf and I never used to see the bottle. And I'm curious to see from him, did it, did it work, did it not? But I, you know, I, I don't think that the can switch helped that product. I think it's a better bottle, you know. I would have loved it in a bottle. I did. Yeah, I still have a bottle and a can of Black yeah. Crack from, yeah, I don't even know what years they're from. But I, I know I have a bottle of Black Crack. That mm. stuff doesn't go bad from what I've experienced. No, man. It's uh, That's a really good beer. Those are all uh, Garrison Brothers barrels that they're aged in. Yeah, it's interesting with Southern Star. Uh, Dave was on the show... I don't know, a few months, few months back, and it's just weird how every brewery has had to come up with kind of new game plans. Like yeah. something will work for a while, and then all of a sudden it's like, nope, why doesn't it work anymore? We got to come up with and figure something else out. Yeah, it's just ma- major pivots, it's, and they're not cheap. They're usually fifty to a hundred thousand dollar pivots uh, if you're lucky. Uh, sometimes completely restructuring your entire product line, maybe the the branding and the marketing. Uh, one of the things that we've had to do is we went hard into distribution last year, uh, ordered a you know, $100,000 packaging line, labeling and bottler, and now this year we realize that it's time to switch back, and so we're going to have to reinvest in the tasting room and add indoor seating, add outdoor seating, add music, add uh, you know, food component, and just, you know, it's, it's another whole expenditure, and I don't know how long that will work. Maybe maybe next spring it's going to be time to go into liter and a half bottles. I have no idea. But it'll <laughs> but, be something. I don't know. I think we somebody's going to start putting it in like in a box, like beer in a box. Right. And that'll be the next big thing because it stacks nice on the shelf and the grocery store is going to love it. And or like uh, IV bags and you just sort of like stick it in your arm. In. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know anymore. And that's, that's, a new, that's a new line. That's one of the questions I ask in my podcast of every brewery is that, or every brewer is what's what's your most ridiculous beer prediction because if you look at how the palette of the consumer has evolved over the last eight years i have absolutely no idea what they're going to want in three years but it looks like it's going to be a pure grain alcohol that doesn't taste like beer with no hops in it and just as 12 and a half percent alcohol if i'm making my prediction that's what it looks like man and it's gonna be i don't think it'll be as carbonated as a seltzer but 12%, and then there's going to be a pod that you're able to, 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 to that'll dissolve inside it for all your different flavors. You can just drip it into water? Yeah. Like dehydrated something. beer, basically? Exactly. Way to go, John Denman. What are you going to call your dehydrated beer pat tablet? Mm, DOA. Because <laughs> <laughs> how many people are going to die from this? <laughs> yeah, it will, at least one. Yep. All right, let's take a break. Let's uh, get some more beers. We're here at Craft Beer Cellar downtown and hanging out with New Braunfels Brewing Company, Kelly Meyer. This is Drink of Ages. We'll be right back. This week's Brewer Ops at True Anomaly are Will Stop, a Fooder Age Saison Ill, Light Oak, Touch of Tart, and a Mellow Funk. Another release, Mirror, it is a Belgian Golden Strong Ill aged 18 months in cognac barrels. Last, Starport Jamboree, it is a Tart Golden Strong Ill aged 18 months in port barrels. And if you're heading out to watch the Astros or Dynamo, stop by for a beer before the game. Or just hang out and watch it in the tap room. Trivia every Tuesday and steak night every Thursday. Check out their website at trueanomalybrewing.com. It's time to get on the highway to Hemp Vodka. 
Highway Vodka, Texas's first hemp-based vodka and black-owned distillery, is already on the highway to Houston's best vodka. Trust me, I make it. I'm Cody Fuller, the lead distiller of Highway Vodka. Our award-winning vodka is made out of three simple ingredients, hemp, corn, and water. We distill it six times, keeping only the hearts of the run, meaning no hangovers. You can find Highway in all the major liquor stores. Get on the highway and find out more info at highwayvodka.com. G'day all, Sean here from Platypus Brewing, located a stone's throw from downtown off Washington Avenue. I'd like to invite you out for some pints from our on-site brewery, paired with our cracking food. From house smoked barbecue, the best fish and chips in town, chicken wings with our in-house crafted special sauces to pale ales, IPAs, sours and stouts. We even have great Aussie wine and local ciders, so there's something for everyone. Family friendly, both human and the four-legged kind. Platypus Brewing, brewed with Texan heart and Australian soul. Platypusbrewing.com. Hey, this is Blake Harris, the general manager of Rudyard's British Pub. Just want to invite you guys out to our Thursday night steak and pint night. It's $25 for a 16-ounce New York strip, party potatoes, Caesar salad, and a free pint. As well, starting at 7 o'clock, we've got $4 pints all night long. Right now, we're doing about 20 on drafts, and in the near future, we will be increasing that number. So come check us out. We're at 2010 Wall Drive in Montrose. All right, we are back. This is Dream Ages. ESPN FM5. Kelly Meyer from New Braunfels Brewing Company is our guest. And man, hoppin' stoppin' is what you just poured in my glass. I don't even know if you're ready for this, to be honest with you. Well, luckily, it's the last segment, and uh, we don't know what's going to happen so, after this. Well, apparently, I'm going to put my pants back on. So, uh, that's a, There is a mystery fourth segment that happens, really? if you can find it. Oh, but you got to know. It's like an Easter egg thing. you gotta, you got to be able to find it. It's, uh, it's not for everyone. My grandma listens to the show, <laughs> and uh, so it's best, it's best that she doesn't know about you know, all the things that go on after the show. It's down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell me about this beer. So this is a, the soul of our brewery is a wheat beer uh, brewed kind of in the style of a Belgian Lambic, but young, so it's not uh, a blend. And basically what is 85% white wheat, 15% Pilsner, so just a light base meant to just sort of like delicately on the palate, off the palate, refreshing and simple. And all the flavor of that beer comes from the mixed culture. So there's a bit of aged hops in it to keep the acidity at bay. With the idea being it's a, a light-bodied beer, um, dry, a little bit of acidity, and then that sits in barrel for about a year. Pull it out of the barrel, add fresh, unfermented beer to it, and hops. So it's three pounds per barrel of hops. Uh, these are hazy IPA hops, and uh, ferment it on them for that biotransformation, give a little bit of the body, the mouthfeel. So this is a barrel-aged, hazy, sour beer. Hop and stop and blend seven. Tropical. Sour, crisp, refreshing. I, I apologize. You guys have to hear about it and you can't taste it. But really, it is not my fault. If you were here, you could. I would, just, I would pour for you. Yeah, we definitely share. Uh, I mean, is it is it wrong to say that like a splash of rum would be really good in this thing? Oh, yeah. I would do that with you. Yeah. Floater. A little floater on here. It's That's almost like got the Grand Marnier in it, like in a sense. And so mm-hmm. you're just sort of, oh. This is good. 
Yeah, this is a, this is a fun beer. So it's, it's one that, like every, I, I joke all the time that uh, I, being an artist I, and I'm willing to take risks that I make things that I kind of don't know how to make yet, and I'm willing to you know let the first couple of tries go through as long as the end result tastes good, even if I missed my goal mark. So I always joke that if you try one of my beers, if you see blend five or later, get on that thing, because that's where I figured it out. And this one's blend seven. So I would argue blend five is when I started re-fermenting on the hops and using a little bit more um, like longer aged beer. And so you just get more complexity and a lot more of a punch of the aroma. I kicked up the, the volume as well. I think we were doing one pound per barrel of hops before. Now it's three times that. And blends five, six, and seven has been fantastic, and I think this is the best of the bunch. Yeah, this is this is really tasty, and I think it's just, I think it's just cool though because I mean you're blending so much stuff back and forth uh, to to finally decide like like figure out the ratio that you really want to be the final product. Yeah, so one of the things I learned, I didn't learn that much in my brewing career, but one of the things I did learn is that I always start with the end result in mind. So a lot of times. You see a lot of beers in the market now that are, when you read the label, the story sort of sells it, as opposed to the flavor sells it. And so what I mean by that is that with this beer, I tasted a bunch of sour beer, I've tasted a bunch of hazy IPAs, and I knew where I wanted it to hit, but I didn't exactly know how to get there. And so that's why it took a few times of, well, do we age it this long? Do we pull two barrels or one barrel? Um, and, And so now I figured out we need two different barrels for at least some complexity. We pick one that's kind of more sour, one that's kind of more dry, and that adds a lot more depth. And so, in other words, I've started with the end in mind, and I've kind of rebuilt the recipe based on that. And that is hard to do with just one swing. It takes a couple of whacks at it to get it right. So, I would imagine. Um, that's what, well, it's kind of like blending a barrel-aged stout with you know just a normal stout. Like finding what's the ratio that's going to hit just right to, to get still the characteristics from the barrel and yeah not be super boozy and still be really good i think that's one of the hardest things about what i do and and even just in in general in this industry is obviously i've I've met a lot of brewers and i've talked to a lot of people and i'm always disappointed when i talk to a guy who can't really explain uh, the difference in esters and kind of exactly how an off flavor tastes it's one thing if you can read about it and understand what acetaldehyde is supposed to do and it's another thing if you can understand where it happened in the process, taste through it, understand how you can prevent it next time, and and fix it. And I've literally had brewers work for me who've tasted beer that was off, and they couldn't tell me why. And at that point, you're in the wrong industry, bro. Yeah. Go sell shoes. Uh, would you like a size nine with that? Yeah. You'd... Yeah. It's just just weird with with beer, you know, especially with this style of beer, just all the different descriptors, anyways, and the different flavors that people are supposed to be trying to pick up on. Yeah, and from like uh, horse blanket to to barn hay to grass, to, I mean, all these different things. It's like, man, that's just a that's that's they're, they're, we need better ways to describe the flavors than like sweaty horse blanket. <laughs> yeah, more well, appealing. How's that? Wine will do a lot of the same thing, but they'll do forest floor. Um, they'll do like moss, and, and the, there are flavors that, while also saying the same thing, they don't say it quite as gross. Like, like horse blanket literally means the sweat of a horse that's ridden all day that didn't get washed. Like, that's kind of gross. That's not what I really feel like drinking. Gosh, this dirty sock is kind of amazing, John. But Denny. it tastes good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, and that that balance of complexity is good, right? So you've got 
in those kind of beers, you've got acidity and that minerally kind of like uh, horsey balance actually improves the depth and character of it, but not necessarily for everybody. So the, the guy drinking an orange juice IPA probably isn't going to switch over to a horse blanket um, Belgian Lambic, but maybe. How was, how was like the first time somebody described a beer or described that flavor? You know what? Kind of tastes like a, a horse blanket. Yeah. Everybody just got to look at them for a minute and be like. <laughs> you think you can get me more of that? You, <laughs> how do you know what that tastes like? <laughs> you know, what have you been doing, man? Well, I, you know, I, I wonder about a lot of those things. Think about the first guy that ever cracked open an egg and ate it. It's kind of gross looking. Kind of weird. He yeah. must have been starving. And that's really, and maybe that was the thing. So the guy who drank the, the beer with horse blanket and it was like. I, I hate my life, and I really just want to get drunk. So I'm going to – this is all we've got is this one it. beer. I'm just going to drink all of it. And then by the end, he loved it. Uh, I missed it the next time he didn't have it. When you watch uh, the, the old movies, and they're just walking around with a jug of something, they're passing it around, and even the movies are making faces. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, they have to act out how bad that tastes. Yeah, whatever ale they put in a horn probably yeah, was not very good was beer. not that yeah. great. Not that great. Unlike this one, man. This, this, this. You, you said it before. You're like, hey, it's kind of right up your alley, and I, yeah, I've, I've had my discussions about hazy beers, and and I think there's definitely a place for them and all that, and and they, they taste really good. I just not, I can't drink like three or four of them because it just does weird things, man. I don't know. I get yeah. Where I can sit back and drink like twelve, you know. A, Play, go play around at golf and during pound lagers all day long, or even IPAs, right? Like, I love a good West Coast IPA. Well, uh, I haven't done a lot of research, but I have found that those kinds of beers build up in me as well. And I don't know if it's kind of stomach, it's kind of, I, I mean, I've, I've experienced something before where CO2, and I don't think that's what it is, but there comes a point where for some reason my body is saying, hey, bro, maybe don't have another one of those. And so now that we're getting a little bit, now that we're over 21, yeah. Um, we're old enough to maybe start listening to what our body has to say. And You, know. you, you heard about the guy. You know, he got pulled over for a drunk driving. He goes, I haven't had drink anything in like three days because his body had so much yeast built up in it. And then he <laughs> would eat and it would start fermenting oh, that's more nice. and creating alcohol in his own body. Like he was, he was his own brewery like going on. I almost feel like that's me sometimes. <laughs> Which is full and uh, yeah. Just every once in a while I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, Ooh, I feel a little buzz after I ate. Yeah, I was like, man. Sugar's kicked in with the yeast. A little flashback. Well, what do you ever totally sober up, or is it just sort of like levels of sober? One day, one day, uh, no. Here's here's the honest to god truth: is that I really don't drink that much beer. I know it sounds crazy. I don't yeah. either. Yeah, uh, but I, I really don't. Um, we were, like last week we were in Florida the whole week, and yeah, there were beers, you know, Yingling, <laughs> <laughs> sitting around. Go to the beach, have like. I bought a lager from uh, from Props Brewery, a six-pack from Props. There's a brewery there in Pensacola. So I bought a six-pack of their lager. Sit out there, crush those, you know, but it was never never anything crazy. And most days, that's the reason why I have so much beer at home is because I never even drink at home. Well, so here's an interesting question, and maybe you have to think about it before you answer, but do you, did you used to drink more, that more beer? So that definitely changed after I had kids. So, and I think some of it too, obviously there's that part, right? You can't be drunk at home, but um, you can also still come home and have a beer, have two, you know, and obviously guys like us who are in the industry, we could probably have three and be fine and really not show signs of being buzzed. But um, there's almost a point where, and I think the broader market maybe is experiencing as well, just almost like a tiredness of just, God dang it, another, like I, 
you're no longer passionate about it. And I wouldn't say you've tried it all, but if, if somebody releases a brand new IPA and they use a brand new hop, is it really that different than the one they had last week that used the other hop with a number on it? Like, are well, that's that's what I'm waiting for, right? And this is this is me, I, I, honestly. I'm waiting for craft beer to not be cool anymore. <laughs> right? I'm ready. I think we're dangerously close to that. But yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm ready for it to just be like just be beer. Right? Like, like just get rid of this whole stigma behind it or whatever people how they prop it up. And we've got to support. We got to do all these things. I've got to be out there preaching against this group and prove this group and all this. It's like, no, no, you don't have to do any of that. Just go enjoy beer that you like. On well, the and waiting it, in line for beer, too. Waiting in like, line for beer, I I would show up with, like, donuts and bacon and just pass those out in the lines because I knew people were waiting, you know. So I was yeah. like, yeah, here, eat this. Um, but but waiting for anything. Like, like, why would you wait in line for, like, the new iPhone when – a week later, you didn't have to wait in line for it. And it made this, it, it did so not make important. your phone calls any better. Like at some point yeah. too, like the same argument with the beer. Like if you drove an hour and a half across town, or you're in Houston, people have driven to Parish yes. to go pick up a beer yep. that's a hazy IPA. And granted, three to five years ago, that really wasn't available here. And and you could make the argument Parish makes a better one than your local brewery. Yep. I get that, but three hours better? I don't know. <laughs> that's a tough one. <laughs> That's a tough one, but but people six did. hours uh, technically round trip. Yeah, a round trip, and then plus a couple hours there, you know. And then, right. Uh, then you got stopped by Golden Nugget on the way back. I mean, there's <laughs> like another like three left. or four hundred bucks. Yeah. So you know, it's like a seven hundred dollar day, you know, just to go to Parish. Yeah, and and granted, beer tourism's a thing, and I think that's cool, and I love doing that. But there also comes a point where I don't. I mean, if the beer down the street is that much better, it's so much more chill. Just to why don't I wake up three hours late, ride my bicycle to that brewery? And have six of them, and ride my bike home whenever I remember to. I I, I don't know. It for me that that's also fun. So, well, the the industry is not going to survive just from that group alone, right? That that's not what pays the bills. Um, True. It's great to have them, and it's exciting. You know, the people are that interested in the products. I get I get excited. You know, if somebody releases a new beer, I mean, I'm I'm excited about it because hopefully it does well for them. But it's it's. That's not what's going to continue growing the industry, right? So, and I think that that's what I don't know how to get that message out. <laughs> you know, they're like, like what's funny, like all all the people like us that we talk to in the industry and behind the scenes, we're all just like, when the hell are loggers coming back? Uh, and they're probably not. Like, I, if we're honest, I don't think the broader market's going to go back. I'd be great if they did, but I feel like I feel like if. A brewery open up in Houston that was like a true lager house. Yeah, it would kill it. Excellent, man. Well, congratulations on everything, man. I'm glad you. I'm glad you guys are still open. Thanks, you make man. fantastic beer. You're in a bad little spot in the world, New Braunfels. Uh I like you, buddy. I want to see like you succeed. And so, man, if you're ever out in that area, uh, stop by there. Tap rooms open. It sounds like it's about to get expanded. It's going to need to, yes. So uh, go try some beers, man. Bring it New on. New Brownwell's Brewery Company. We'd love to pour them for you, for sure. Yeah. All right, Kelly. appreciate you coming and hanging out. Uh, you can listen to any of the old shows sponsored by No Label Brewing Company by going to drinkofages.com, SoundCloud, 
Apple, iTunes, I don't know. It's just the same thing, man. Like, like, where are all these places? Just type it and find type it. Type it and find it. That's what Google is for. <laughs> That's right. It throws me off all the time because people like post questions like, where do I find someone to fix my tire? It's like, do you still have to ask these questions? Hey, mm-hmm. did you just, even try? And why doesn't Facebook just say it yeah, at that point? Just like, at that point, they, they know. Just, just answer. All right. Uh, we will be back next week over here at Craft Beer Cellar. Come hang out and have a beer with us. Everybody be safe. Talk to you next week.